I'm glad you're joining us on Radio Free Georgia's In Tune to Nature program. I'm host Carrie Freeman coming to you from Atlanta in February of 22, 2022. <laughs> and today we're going to be talking about the beef industry and one of its multiple roles in causing extinction of species. Specifically, we're talking about cattle grazing and the massive issues that wild animals and their habitats face due to government policies enabling cattle grazing on so many hundreds of millions of acres of publicly owned land across the Western United States. Their Center for Biological Diversity is one nonprofit trying to fight the beef industry lobby's destructive stranglehold on Western public lands policies. To tell us about this is Chris Bugby, the Southwest Conservation Advocate at the Center for Biological Diversity, let me introduce them. The Center for Biological Diversity is a nonprofit where they believe that the welfare of human beings is deeply linked to nature, to the existence in our world of a vast diversity of wild animals and plants. They want those who come after us to inherit a world where the wild is still alive. The center works through science, law, and creative media with a focus on protecting the lands, waters, and climate that species need to survive. Their website is biologicaldiversity.org. Our guest today is the Center's Southwest Conservation Advocate, Chris Bugby. Chris is a field ecologist who specializes in wildlife conservation. He's worked with the diversity of species across a wide range of ecosystems, from crocodilians and pythons in the Everglades to large mammals like bears and wild cats. Prior to joining the center, Chris conducted research on borderlands wildlife, including endangered jaguars and ocelots. He holds a bachelor's degree in biology from St. Lawrence University and a master's degree in interdisciplinary ecology with a focus on wildlife conservation from the University of Florida. Welcome, Chris. Thanks for having me. Chris, I read an article that you wrote on cattle grazing, and I was inspired by your passion in outlining the problems that it's causing for native plants and animals in the Western United States. Can you set the stage for us? Because maybe maybe people don't really understand the issue at all. Explaining how pervasive cattle grazing is on public lands out west and, and you know, and why that poses a problem for ecosystem health. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but Growing beef cattle is the top commercial use of public land in the West. So when I say public land, this is national forests, national monuments. These are lands that are owned by all of us, uh, anybody who pays taxes. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's these lands are being managed primarily for the benefit of livestock ranchers, which is a private industry for private profit. And it's a widespread yeah. problem. It, you know, between the Bureau of Land Management and the U.S. Forest Service, about 230 million acres of public land across the West are being grazed by, by cattle, which is a non-native species. Wow. So, and so this is pretty common, especially like, so it's not so much like in our national parks and stuff. We don't see it, the kind of places that a lot of us do recreation. Um, and some of us have recreation in, in national forest land, but the Bureau of Land Management lands and some of the national forests are the lands um, where this tends to happen. Yes, it's it's ubiquitous. Okay. 97% is, is grazing allotments. Yeah. And why is that? So, you know, we could say like, oh, okay, so they're allowing some cows onto this land. You know, they, people might think, well, that's fine. Quote unquote, nobody's using it, meaning <laughs> although other species are using it. 
Um, like, but why does it cause a problem to have all these cows, you know, on this, in these conservation areas? Well, in the Southwest where I work, uh, grazing has been implicated in numerous species declines. And it's, it's recognized by U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service as an ongoing central threat to many imperiled species. Um, there's more publications in the literature that discuss grazing as a threat to Western riparian ecosystems than any other single threat. And having conducted extensive field surveys with the center, I can tell you firsthand that cattle damage is shockingly severe and pervasive and protections given to our imperiled fauna are completely inadequate. And what, what is it exactly like, or is it that their hooves, like their hooves are damaging things or because they're out there trying to kind of graze and like they're trying to fend for themselves and eat that they're eating too much of the plants that other animals need or like what is the problem actually yeah my i guess you could say my jurisdiction uh, with the center is addressing livestock grazing in riparian areas so these are narrow ribbons of lush green vegetation that occurs along streams and rivers throughout okay. the southwest um, it's, it's a one, about 1% of the land is riparian systems, but it's, it provides habitat for over 80% of Western wildlife and plant species. Hmm. So it's a, it's a keystone ecosystem. Yeah. And the vast majority of these systems are in a highly degraded condition directly due to livestock grazing. So you just picture a hot summer, uh, in the desert, um, the cattle are drawn to these riparian zones because there's water and there's shade, and it's cooler, and there's more to eat. Right. So without some kind of uh, fencing or, or intervention, cattle are going to spend about 30 times longer in these riparian zones than they are in adjacent uplands. And what they do is they, aside from completely denuding the vegetation, they're trampling uh, streams, polluting them with feces, mm causing irreversible changes in hydrology and plant communities and watershed function. And all this is happening wholesale, subsidized, uh, complete degradation of, of rare ecosystems in the Southwest. And of course, I just want to clarify as we problematize cattle grazing that I don't blame the cows. I blame the ranchers who breed the cows for profit and put them in these ecosystems in the government with the government's permission to exactly. fend for themselves and finding food and water. So I just want to put that out there. Um, so, uh, Chris, in terms of the damage that's being done, can you tell us about one or two animal species, maybe who live in your southwestern region, who are struggling to survive due to the constant presence of domesticated cows in their home ecosystems? Yeah, I'm, I'm focused on, you know, I've got, there's several fish species, amphibians, reptiles. Um, one of my main focuses now is the Western yellow-billed cuckoo. A so this bird. is a bird. That, yeah. Yes, this is a bird that um, comes into Arizona to breed uh, throughout the West, but they've declined, declined dramatically in recent decades due to loss of habitat. And the habitat that they need is uh, cottonwood willow riparian forest. And of all the cottonwood willow forests that we have, we have about 1% left. It's actually the rarest forest type in North America. Wow. And much of this is caused directly by cattle grazing. Um, cattle, they're eating the, uh, the seedlings and saplings of the cottonwood willow forests. 
okay. and, that, and basically pre precluding the forest from regenerating itself. So after decades, what you're left with is a lot of old trees and no new trees to, to replace those old ones. And in time, the old ones die and the forest is gone. And so when the birds, um, those cuckoo birds are kind of flying into that area where they've always relied on the tree cover and, and the habitat to do their breeding, they can't, they can't find it or there's not enough space. Yeah, it's, it's mostly disappeared from what it once was already. Does that make the, is that threatening the species, that bird species in terms of their ability to remain on the planet? Or are they trying to find some other place to go or? There is some indication that they're adapting to um, other forest types like mesquite bosques. Uh, we know that they use that here in Southern Arizona and also Northern Mexico. Yeah. Even in those systems, we have the same problem. Um, when there's cows on the landscape, they are precluding forest regeneration. Right. Because this is so pervasive, the cattle grazing everywhere, and especially in the riparian zones, that animals who need to gravitate to riparian zones can't find a nearby one either. It, that isn't degraded. I see what you're saying. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. They're becoming smaller in size and more intermittent uh, across the landscape. Yeah. And I, oh, go ahead. Completely deficient in understory plants as well. Yeah. Which has a, another a whole other cascade of effects for the ecosystem. And I know that there are some political reasons that explain why this ecologically destructive policy persists of government agencies selling cheap grazing rights to ranchers to use our public lands to help their business profit. It's, so it's basically a kind of corporate subsidy that taxpayers have been paying for. Can you explain how the undue government influence of the beef industry lobbying efforts, if that's what it is, has been thwarting the government duty to promote the common good and protect ecosystems? Yeah, the, uh, the ranchers have always been uh, deeply embedded into politics out here. Um, most people would be surprised when I say that conservation is not the priority of federal land management agencies. Really, the disappointing truth is that the land management agencies are, they blatantly prioritize livestock over wildlife. And they'll, for example, just fence off a tiny slice of the ecosystem for wildlife and literally leave the rest for the cows. So they're like creating, okay, they're fencing in, in a way, fencing in the wildlife to yeah, make room for cows. Like it's like creating a um, canned hunt or a zoo or something almost. Um, that's strange. Yeah. And, and, you know, we have these little postage stamp places where grazing has been excluded sometimes for decades and the, it, you know, the habitat looks great. Yeah. Everything comes back. And that's the best part about the riparian system is that it is resilient. It can come back. Yeah. As long as we are able to remove that stressor of, of non-native cows. And I noticed in your article, you were mentioning the term greenwashing um, it, to describe the facade that's created by the beef industry's shallow attempts to restore ecosystem health or by the practice of so-called like holistic grazing or planned grazing. So they act like, you know, I guess there's some recognition like, oh, cattle grazing is causing ecological problems. So then are they just, is the government land agencies and the ranching industry just saying, oh, okay, so we're we're resolving this. Don't worry. We've got better grazing we're doing now. 
And so they make it seem like it's not a problem anymore. Yeah. You know, um, I will say that it's better than it was decades ago, mm-hmm. but it's still, it's still way off the mark. <laughs> right. Cause if that's, if their main incentive at the, at the fish and wildlife service is really not to protect fish and wildlife, that's a problem. Like that's a core problem. You know, the baseline that they use really is the worst chapters of grazing in history. And, and we see that a lot. Oh, it's better than it was. Oh, okay. okay so, but it was terrible. I yeah. see. Right. Because, I mean, hasn't this been going on? I mean, I don't know how long this has been going on, but it seems like definitely my lifetime and I'm 50 now. Um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's been, this isn't a new problem. No. Um, you know, cattle, cattle came with Western expansion. So it's, yeah. you know, in some places it's been hundreds of years already. It's nothing new. Yeah. Um, and so there's, I, I don't know if there, is it just the beef industry lobby or do you, I don't know if you know why do they have such a stranglehold? Aren't there like, why don't the environmental groups or other citizens um, get more of a say in the, in these land management policies? Well, that's, you know, that's what we're trying to do. We, yeah. you know, the center is we've put ourselves, we've given ourselves a seat at the table, um, but still, you know, the agencies will consult with the ranchers behind closed oh. doors before they're making their, their management decisions. So they have all this undue influence and, and they're like, they are paying, like they're paying to, to graze, but it's also like really inexpensive, isn't it? They're paying almost nothing. Almost nothing. Okay. Almost nothing. The price of uh, one cow and calf pair for a month is yeah. less than a can of dog food. Uh, these are probably the same people that don't like socialized medicine or socialized anything, but then they're taking all this um, money <laughs> from the taxpayer money. That's exactly right. Yeah, you know, this industry only survives because of the hundreds of millions of dollars in subsidies that it receives. And that comes from us, the taxpayers. Right. So we're paying for this destructiveness. Public lands grazing does not pay for itself. It's a money sink. Right. And without without these subsidies and these government handouts and miles and miles of irrigated water to turn a profit, this whole industry would fold. We've spent as taxpayers more than one billion dollars over the past decade oh. <laughs> so that ranchers can do this to our environment. Oh, yeah, all for a food source that is also not necessary and causes a, a series of other environmental problems too, in, including uh, climate change. Well, you know, in Western lands, uh, ranching only represents about less than 2% of the total beef industry of the country. Mm. So even if we got rid of it completely, it wouldn't even change the price of beef. Ah, uh, because so much <laughs> of it is the cattle feedlots in other areas instead of right. this, like, exactly. or on private mm-hmm. land or something. Yeah, the ranching in the Western states is almost negligible. Yeah. The environmental damage is absolutely catastrophic. Yeah, it's, everything's out of sync. If you're just joining us on Radio Free Georgia, this is In Tune to Nature, and I'm host Carrie Freeman, talking about the ways we can protect the wild animals and plants who live on publicly owned lands, whose lives are put at risk from the major ecological problems caused by the beef industry being permitted to continually graze cows on our public land, an unhealthy practice that is rampant across millions of acres of Western, Western United States. 
We're talking with Chris Bugby, the Southwest Conservation Advocate at the Center for Biological Diversity. Their website is biologicaldiversity.org. Um, Chris, I understand that the Center for Biological Diversity has been working on solutions and has had some recent achievements in protecting specific ecosystems from cattle grazing in the Southwest where you live. Can you summarize that for us? Yeah, we've, we've recently negotiated agreements with um, the Forest Service and Fish and Wildlife to protect um, several national forests, Apache Sitgreaves, for example, uh, Gila National Forest. Um, we've just filed suit on to address grazing on Agua Fria National Monument recently, as well as the Gila Box National Conservation Area and the San Pedro National Conservation Area. And there's more coming. Uh, so we're seeing... Our ask is basically to, to keep cows out of uh, wetlands and riparian areas. And that's basically what we get out of these settlements. That's what I was going to ask. When you said you signed an agreement with um, the National Forest Service for that one area, like what, what does the agreement entail? For now, we're getting fences and we're getting monitoring um, above and beyond what the agencies are normally doing. Uh, and just to back up a little bit, in in North America, especially in the southeast and in the southwestern deserts, uh, the extinction crisis is most prevalent in our freshwater systems. Okay. Um, our ultimate goal at the center is to end public lands ranching. Mm. I, I really don't believe it's the future of public lands. Um, right. But short of that, our goal is to end public lands ranching in riparian zones, these important waterways. Now, do they sometimes, is it always, is the best you can get right now is, is like the agency or the Forest Service saying like, oh, okay, we'll put fences around here that keep the cows out of this area versus saying we're going to expand the riparian zones where, um, or like, you know, much put greater limits on ranching in whole areas. The best we're getting is fences right now. Okay, yeah. And these are fences. Do they also, I don't know, fencing can be a problem also for multiple animals because they can keep cows out, but might also cause problems for other large animals. I don't know who need yeah, to no, get to the riparian no. zone. It's it's not the best solution, but right. now it's it's almost like a triage approach. I mean, yeah. We've, we've got to do something immediate in the immediate future to uh, to safeguard these, these riparian zones. But, you know, that it's better than... It's better than nothing. Right. It's better than the opposite where you said that they're fencing off the, the actual native wildlife in smaller areas to keep them away from the riparian zone where the uh, cows prefer to be. Right. Um, well, Chris, for listeners who are interested in helping to stop the cattle industry's ecologically destructive stranglehold on Western public lands, what are some things that that people can do? Well, you know, I think people can, uh, aside from their day-to-day -day decisions, um, you know, eating less meat, being cognizant of their energy usage, you know, driving the right cars, things like that. Um, there is a public process that people can get involved with um, when it comes to land management. Right. It's, it's kind of hard for the average person to get involved. It, it can be tricky navigating the, the process, but... Uh, I'm actually going to start a, uh, a public campaign on the website, um, the Center for Biological Diversity website, that's going to make it easier for the general public to reach out and, and uh, 
give their opinion to the appropriate uh, decision makers in the federal agencies. That's great because I I pretty much only do that when I get prompted by an action alert by an, an environmental group or an animal group like yours. And it kind of, it gives me a link right to the government website for the public comment. And they tell you the dates, you know, when you have to get it in by, and there might be some little case number or something, because it's kind of legal and official. Um, So I guess the hope would be that more citizen, that it wouldn't just be the ranching industry who's commenting on these things, that citizens who care more about um, the overall health of our ecosystems and, and biological diversity would speak those of us who don't have a vested, you know, economic interest. Um, and then I suppose it just makes it harder for the public officials in a way, even to save face in terms of ignoring the public commentary. Well, yeah, the public and the, the, the citizens are, are literally the antidote to the, the, the stranglehold that the ranchers have on the agencies. Um, so I'll give you a spoiler. I'm actually developing an action alert <laughs> right now. Oh, yeah, Awesome. Okay. And, um, it should uh, hopefully be able to help people um, voice their opinion. And, and so do people action. sign if they go to biologicaldiversity.org? Is there like a sign up for action alerts kind of there area? Is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just visit the website and you should be able to find it pretty easily. Okay. Um, and I know, like you mentioned, eating less meat. I mean, I, I, I'm a, I'm a vegan and I, so I withhold my money from the meat industry and I have for a quarter century now is as part of a protest of destructive meat industry practices like this. And I also try to work as a citizen too, in promoting plant-based organic foods and access to them. And also in voting, voting for environmentally responsible elected officials where I can. So I, I wanted to also just throw, throw that out too, in terms of like thinking of ourselves as consumers and citizens um, and how, you know, it's hard for us sometimes to know, well, what can we do about this very specific <laughs> issue? Um, but I think, yeah, in, in general, yeah, I, I do a lot of, of these shows on animal agribusiness and fishing and all the problems related to that. So every time we hear about problems with specific industries, the more we keep giving our money to them without okay. putting any strings attached the more they're just going to keep doing whatever they can do to make, you know, more money, you know, with less, like cut any corner to make more money. Yeah. Those are all very admirable everyday actions that everybody can take. And, and I thank you for doing that. Yeah. Well, that's the end of our show, but I want to thank you, Chris Bugby, for being with us on Radio Free Georgia's In Tune to Nature program. And thanks for the vital work that you do with the Center for Biological Diversity in protecting the ecosystems and all the individual animals, human and non-human animals, living in the beautiful Southwestern United States. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to In Tune to Nature, broadcasting every Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern time, online at wrfg.org and on Atlanta radio station 89.3 FM. We post action items, news, and podcasts on the show's website, facebook.com forward slash in tune to nature. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect those of WRFG, its board staff or volunteers. I'm one of those volunteers. I'm host Carrie Freeman asking you to please support independent non-commercial media like Radio Free Georgia. And remember to take care of yourself and others, including other species. Thank you for listening. Cheers. <laughs>